several years ago, uh, in 1988, I became a student pastor, uh, back then we called it a youth pastor, at a little Baptist church in a little town called Pemberton, New Jersey, which is about 30 miles outside of downtown Philadelphia. And uh, the pastor that I worked for back then, who actually just passed away recently, uh, wanted me to have an activity on the calendar for the students nearly every week. And so, as you can imagine, I had to become really creative trying to figure out how do I create the, all of these different opportunities for students. And uh, one of the ideas that I came up with, which I thought was a pretty easy win for, for me and for these kids, was to float on tubes down the Delaware River. And so I threw this out to the kids, and, and, and I was surprised that a ton of, ton of high school students signed up for this event. And, um, and at the same time, I had a lot of adults ask me if they could go with us. And two of the adults uh, that came to me uh, were a lady, lady by the name of Mary and another lady by the name of Kay. Kay had a daughter by the name of Kim. And these two women wanted to go on this trip with us to, to float in inner tubes down the Delaware. And, and, I, and I, I didn't say this to them, but what I was thinking is you, you are in no physical shape to be floating um, down a tube, uh, down a Delaware in, in a tube. And, um, and, and I actually said to them, I said, I'm, I'm not sure you're going to be up for this kind of activity. And they, so they pleaded with me and begged. And, and, uh, and so I agreed to let them go on the trip with us. And, uh, of course, their daughter Kim came along. Well, as we put our inner tubes into the Delaware River and just begin to kind of, in a very lazy manner, float down the Delaware, enjoying our time, I noticed that Mary and Kay and Kim were way, way behind us. And uh, they were getting caught up on rocks. They were getting stuck in weeds. Uh, they were actually many times dragging the bottom along the bottom of the Delaware. And so I would have to keep leaving the rest of the group and go back to them. And as I would get back to them, I would notice that their legs were all bruised up and, and bloody. And um, so finally, uh, we were getting to the end of this uh, little excursion. And, and I told these ladies, I said, listen, I have to go and take care of the rest of this group. I had some other workers up there, uh, volunteers. And so as we got out of the river with our inner tubes and got them back to, to where they needed to be, uh, one of the workers that was with me was my pastor's son, and he uh, ran sound at our church, and he said, listen, we have got to get back to the church right now. This trip took a little longer than I had hoped. I've got to run sound for a wedding tonight. We've got to leave now. So we loaded up the kids and, and, and the adults and got in the bus. And about an hour back to the church, all of a sudden it dawned on me. I left Mary, Kay, and Kim in the Delaware River. I forgot them. So when I got back to the church, uh, I, I, I dumped everybody off. I ran into my pastor. He was furious with me that I had left these two women and their daughter, and, and one of their daughters. And, um, and this was well before cell phones, so nobody was calling on me, bagging on me or anything like that. Um, and I couldn't call them. I didn't even know where they were. So I got in a car, grabbed another adult worker, drove all the way back to where we were. Uh, and as I did, I think they were just coming out of the, the water, uh, all bruised up, bloody, tired. Um, and fortunately, we got them home. But some of you in this building here today might be able to relate a little bit to that story in the sense that right now you feel like you have been forgotten. You have gone through a tough time in your life. You've gone through something that was, or, or something that is beyond you, something that has worn you out, something that you didn't expect, something that was, has been overwhelming to you. And as you look at God and as you look at life, you feel like that you've been forgotten. 
Well, in John chapter 5, and that's where I'd like for you to turn uh, this morning, we're going to look at a guy who can who very much relate to what I just told you about. We're going to look at this man who, who for 38 years, the Bible says he was an invalid. We don't know exactly what that meant, um, but we know that he had a physical condition that caused him to feel like he was worthless in the eyes of the rest of the world. He felt unaccepted by society. He was a man who basically felt hopeless and forgotten and desperately in need of a miracle. And some of you are going to be able to relate to his emotions and his feelings today. And so I'm so glad you're here because I, you're here this morning because I believe that God has a word for you today. Look at John chapter 5, verse 2. We're going to start reading right here. It says this, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Verse 4, For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water, and whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there in a long a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the water when the water is stirred. And while I'm going down, another steps before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. So here we have Jesus. He's in Jerusalem and he, and he goes to this pool, which is a pool called Bethesda, which by the way means house of grace, very appropriately named. And lying all around the pool are people who have severe physical ailments, people that, that are blind, people that are crippled, even people that are paralyzed. Now why are they at this pool? Well, look in your Bibles and if you, if you have them, hopefully you brought them. This is what we're calling a Mark It Up series where we want you to Bring your Bibles, put it in your laps, illuminate your electronic devices, highlight some verses, whether it's through pen or where you just highlight it on your electronic device. But if you look at verse 4, some of you just noticed that verse 4 is not actually in your Bible. And you're going, where did it go? I mean, why is verse 4 not even in here? You just read it. Well, if you have an English Standard Version, which is what we're using up here today, or an NIV or a New Living Translation, it's not in there because a few of the early Greek manuscripts did not include it. Well, that kind of creates a problem because without this verse, we really don't know why these people with physical challenges are hanging out every day around this particular pool. Well, however, since a majority of the manuscripts do include this missing piece of Scripture, we're going to include it this morning. So according to verse 4, an angel would come into this pool area from time to time, and somehow or another, he would stir up the water. And whoever, able, whoever was able to get into the water first was healed of whatever ailment that they had. And so as Jesus enters into this pool area, he very specifically, very intentionally walks over to this one man who has been crippled for 38 years. And you say, well, why is that significant? Why, why does the Bible keep telling us that he's 38 years old? Well, 2,000 years ago, the average life expectancy was actually 28 years old. And you're like, why so young? Well... That average is actually skewed by an infant mortality rate where children back at that time, a lot of children, did not live past two years old. However, if you made it past your two-year-old birthday, the average rose to only 40 years old. 
So this man was well past his prime. This, this guy probably sat at the pool of Bethesda longer than anyone could actually remember. And day after day after day, somehow he got himself to this pool and he laid there waiting for an angel to stir the water so that he could get healed. However, this guy had a huge problem. Even, even if the angel showed up and stirred the water up, he couldn't get into the water fast enough. Everyone would rush past him and, and basically block him out of, of being able to get into the pool. And so here you have this man whose situation was incurable. He's a guy who is a hopeless case. He's, he's out of options. He's out of referrals. In the eyes of the world, honestly, this is a lost cause. This is a guy who has been forgotten. And if you feel that way this morning, I have a word for you. Jesus specializes in lost causes and forgotten people. If you're here today and you feel like you are a lost cause, you are a forgotten person, Jesus specializes in lost causes and forgotten people. It's quite possible that Jesus went right to this man because he knew that healing this one man would convince even the greatest of skeptics that he was truly the Messiah. Now just imagine for a moment Jesus walking through this multitude of hurting, forgotten people. They don't even know who he is. Jesus, Jesus basically walks up to this one man and he approaches him and asks him one simple question. Do you want to be healed? And the man replies, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool. When it's stirred, I, I, I can't even get down into it because, again, someone's blocking my way. And Jesus says to him, get up, take your bedding, and walk. For 38 years, this man's been crippled. He's never been able to walk. But at the very words of Jesus, he stands up, he puts his bedding under his arm, and he walks home completely healed. As we've said over the last few weeks, as we look at every one of these miracles in the book of John, and there are seven of them, here's where we want to land every single time. Jesus, what does this miracle say about you? Jesus, show us what this miracle is saying about you. What can we learn about you in this story? Well, the first thing that we learn and the first thing that I believe that this miracle says is that we don't need the sensational or the emotional to experience the presence and power of Jesus. He is already with us. Over the last 18 years of being in this community as the pastor of Westridge Church, I have watched people go from conference to conference to conference, from revival meeting to revival meeting to revival meeting, from one religious event to the next, from one spiritual mountaintop experience to the next, looking for some kind of spiritual high or some kind of holy buzz. Or I've, I've watched people actually leave Westridge and go to another church because they've told me that it provides a greater emotional experience for them. And then it almost in, inevitably someone will tell me about that person that they've left that church that they've gone to to go to another church. Or they leave church altogether because the thrill and the emotion is gone. The, the buzz wears off. Several years ago, um, I had a lunch meeting with a, a guy in our church who wanted to tell me while he and his family had decided to leave Westridge. And so um, I invited one of our elders to go along with me in the meeting. And while we were sitting in this restaurant, this man proceeded to pull out a sheet of paper. And on the sheet of paper, he had eight things that he needed in a church to keep him satisfied. He took the paper out. He slid it across the table. I'll never forget this. And I actually still have this on my desk. And I show it to church planners, by the way. He said on the list... I need 
to cry at least once a month in the service. I'm not kidding. He needed to be in a church where the pastor stirred up his emotions and caused him to cry at least once a month. Now, I'm not, I didn't know whether to get him some cayenne pepper. I didn't know what, or an onion. I didn't know what to do for this guy. This was a guy who had been a Christian for several years. And I remember as we walked out of that, my elder friend looked at me and goes, you handled that really well. Matter of fact, you, you probably don't need to come to any more of these meetings ever again. Listen, Rick Warren, this is such a great quote. He said, the most common mistake Christians make in worship today is seeking an experience rather than seeking Jesus. If you come here on Sunday mornings for an emotional experience, your, emo- your emotional experience here at Westridge is going to be an emotional roller coaster ride where you walk away happy one Sunday and possibly walk away disappointed the next. I mean, listen, what, what if you come in here and we don't pick all the songs you like? What if all of a sudden, you know, you don't like the sermon because it doesn't apply to what you're experiencing at that moment? Or, or maybe the sound is too loud. Or, or maybe you're sitting, you're sitting there and all of a sudden someone you really don't like decides to sit next to you and you can't stop thinking about them. See, if you come here seeking emotion, seeking sensation, seeking the miraculous, you may never get what you're looking for. However, if you come here seeking Jesus and the opportunity to be in his presence, not only will you find him because he is here in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, but you might experience the other things just as an added bonus. It's all about what are your motives? What are are your motives for walking through these doors? Do I come here seeking to be in the presence of Jesus or am I seeking some kind of emotional sensation or some kind of spiritual buzz? Listen, notice when, when Jesus asked this man if he wants to be healed, he doesn't, have, he doesn't tell his disciples to pick him up and carry him and put him in the pool. He doesn't tell the man, okay, go get in the water. He doesn't tell him, oh, wait, wait, I'm going to bring the angel back to stir the water up. He doesn't need a miraculous pool. This man doesn't need some sensational, emotional experience to experience the presence and power of Jesus. Jesus is standing right in front of him. He is already in the presence of the one. This man is already in the presence of the one who spoke the world into existence. He is in the presence of the one uh, who, who formed him in his mother's womb. And when we come here on Sunday mornings, this should be our motto as a church. This should be what we say as we walk into this auditorium. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And Jesus, I am walking into this building today because more than anything else, I want to be in your presence. I want to experience the power that only you can give. And I'm seeking you with all of my heart. You do whatever you want to do. The second thing we learn about Jesus is that Jesus still offers grace to those who feel hopeless, forgotten, and even marginalized. If you haven't noticed, over the last couple years, I have become a grace addict. And I'm just admitting it to you here this morning. I have been a, a Christ follower. I've been a Christian for almost 40 years now. And I want you to know, I am still learning new things about grace. I am finding that just when I feel like I have this whole thing about grace completely figured out. God just takes me deeper and he says, but wait, there's more. And, and, and it's like he just sinks me down deeper into a greater understanding of what this word grace means. This past week, uh, I was reading a, a book from a friend of mine named Daniel Henderson. And he defined grace this way. God, grace is God doing for us, in us, and through us what only he can do through the person, through the power, and the presence of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus recognized that this crippled man lying by this pool had been there for a long time. And over the years, his circumstances and his challenges had had basically caused him to give up hope. And as a result of this, he felt forgotten and he felt marginalized. And some of you can relate to the emotions and the feelings that this man was feeling. Maybe you're in a situation that that has just left you feeling hopeless right now. Maybe maybe life has, has caused you to feel forgotten by God and, and maybe, maybe even people around you right now. I had a guy walk up to me after the first service who I hadn't seen in several months. And he said, I've been praying and praying and God's not answered my prayers the way that I've been praying. And I honestly felt like God's just forgotten me. And I was just ready to walk away. Maybe you feel like you've been marginalized by a situation or something's pushed you aside. Listen, I want you to know God offers you grace this morning. He offers you grace through the power and the provision and the presence of his son, Jesus. And maybe many of you need this kind of grace this morning because you have come to the end of trying to do life in your own power. A few days ago, as I was just praying about this sermon, I was actually running through my neighborhood. And I honestly do some of my best thinking and praying while I'm running. And I was thinking about just the whole topic of grace, and I started thinking about how I feel when I try to live life in my own strength and power. And I, and I started thinking about how I feel when, when I, instead of going you know, to my supply of power, I go to God's supply of grace to find my strength and power. And as I started thinking about all of this, I started thinking about, you know, really, for me, life is, is like almost having two wells. I have a well on one side called the well of self-sufficiency, and I have a well on the other hand called the well of God's grace. And in my hand, I have a bucket. And every single day, as I am going to find my strength, as I'm going to find my power or whatever I need to make it through, whatever I'm going to face that day, I've got two choices. When I drop that bucket down into that that well of self-sufficiency, here's what I normally run into. I normally run into an empty well. I normally run, my bucket will drop down and almost every single time will hit rock bottom. And in myself, I don't find the strength and the power that I need. And it just leaves me feeling hopeless and helpless and and even forgotten sometimes. On the other hand, I, I can't tell you how many times I've taken that bucket and I have dropped it down. I've lowered it down into the well of God's grace. And I have never hit bottom. Matter of fact, I don't think I could, we couldn't produce a rope long enough to ever hit the bottom of that well because there is no bottom to the well of God's grace. Listen, every time I go to that well to draw my strength, to, to, to draw the power that I need, here's what I find. I find that his grace is sufficient to meet all of my needs. In 2 Corinthians, or as some people may call it, 2 Corinthians 12, I just had to do that. I'll never do it again. How's that? All right? It's my little political moment. All right? In 2 Corinthians 12, listen, the Apostle Paul, he talks about this. Some of you are in tears going, I was crying about this and you did that. In in 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul talks about this, this thorn that he had in his side. He actually called it, a messenger from Satan sent to torment him and to keep him from being proud. And over the years, there have been scholars who have, who have debated about what Paul was dealing with here, whether it was some kind of emotional issue or was it some kind of physical issue that he just couldn't get over. And the Bible says that Paul begged God three times to take it away. And each time, here's what God said to him. 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Paul says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You look at that and you go, how in the world could Paul say something like that? I am, I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships. I mean, and how in the world can we feel the same way? How can we truly be content when we feel hopeless, we feel helpless, or we feel like that we've been forgotten or even forgotten by God? It's grace. There is no bottom to God's wondrous supply of grace. So as we move forward, we need to be thinking Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, which tells us that we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence because it's only there that we're going to find the help and the mercy that we need to make it through whatever we're going to face on that day. We can approach the throne room of God's grace with boldness and confidence. Another thing we see about Jesus here is that sometimes in order to experience the miraculous, you need to take a step of faith and get up. I said this a few weeks ago, and let me repeat it. Miracles are God's business. Obedience is mine. I love this interaction that happens between Jesus and this guy. Jesus very simply says, listen, do you want to be healed? And instead of saying yes, this guy tells him all the the reasons that it can't happen. He says, no, no one will put me in the pool. And then when I try to get into the pool, someone else blocks my way. And notice that Jesus doesn't even engage this man's excuses. Instead, he just looks at him and he says, get up. Get up, grab your bedding, and walk home. Some of you are like this man lying by this pool this morning. You you, You are in need of a miracle right now in your marriage. And maybe you feel like God has forgotten you. He's forgotten about your marriage. And yet, the direction is clear. Humble yourself and go get some counseling. You need a miracle with your health, but you're, but you're giving every excuse in the world not to go see a doctor or not to take simple steps that you know you need to take to get healthy. Some of you, you, you need a miracle with one of your children, but instead of doing what you know you need to do to see God work the miraculous You may be making excuses and enabling the problem to actually get worse. Here's the point. If you want to see the miraculous, you need to take a step of obedience. You need to trust God. You need to have faith and do what it is that he's asking you to do. And for this guy, it was very simple. Jesus said, get up. Get up, grab your bed, and go home. And for some of you this morning, God is basically saying to you, get up. Trust me and take a step of obedience. And then this next thing I love, if Jesus does a miracle in your life, it's always for a purpose. What's the purpose? Well, it's always going to be the same thing, to bring glory to God and to draw you closer to him, to deepen your faith. Every one of the seven miracles in the book of John that John recorded is about bringing glory to God and deepening the faith of the people involved in the miracle, bringing life change, bringing people to salvation, let me, tell you, let me tell you what happens in the following verses. It's actually kind of humorous. Another, after Jesus heals this man, the Bible says that he actually disappears into the crowd. Disappears into the crowd. And the Jewish people who notice that all of a sudden this man who's been paralyzed for, for 38 years, they, they notice that he's walking around. And he's celebrating. And instead of celebrating with him over the fact that he's actually been healed, they want to know why are you carrying your bedding around on the Sabbath day? 
That's what, they're at, that's what they're engaging him with. And then when he tells them that some man who he didn't, didn't even know who, who it was came up and healed him and told him to get up and take his bed home, then they, then they changed their tone and said, who in the world heals on the Sabbath day? Listen, that's what can happen when your wonder and awe of God turns into man-made religion. You can become very quickly legalistic and self-righteous without even noticing it. And that's where the Jewish people of the day were spiritually in this story. But look at verse 14 in your Bible if you have it. Jesus finds the man. He searches the man out. And he finds him in the temple. And listen to what he says to him. He looks at him and he says, see, you're well. And then he says, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. In other words, Jesus reveals his purpose for healing this man. He healed him to make him holy. Jesus said, sin no more, stop sinning. Jesus healed this man's body. Why? So he could heal this man's greater need, which was to heal his soul. I mean, think about this for a moment. Here's this man, forgotten, helpless, crippled for 38 years. Jesus walks into the, to the area of the pool of Bethesda where there are scores of people who are blind, who are crippled, who are paralyzed, and he walks directly to this one man and he heals him. But there's a, there's a purpose behind the physical healing. It's spiritual healing. And notice that this man did absolutely nothing to earn this gift. He wasn't better than anyone else laying by the pool. But Jesus singled him out to, the, to, to, the, to do the miraculous to heal him physically so that he could perform the even greater miraculous to heal him spiritually. And then he gives him a warning. He says, listen, don't turn from me to a life of sin. Listen, you've watched me do the miraculous in your life. Don't walk away from me now. Listen, if God chooses to do a miracle in your life, it's always for a purpose. And that purpose will always involve drawing you closer to him, deepening your faith, and ultimately for the purpose of bringing God glory. God doesn't do the miraculous in your life to give you a personal platform to make a name for yourself or to put you, to put you in, spot, in bright spotlights. But he might give you a platform so that he can use you to put the spotlight on Jesus and to draw people closer to him and to give God glory. And so as you're thinking about this story, wherever you are, if you're feeling, if you're feeling forgotten, if you're, you're suffering with something right now, maybe you're feeling marginalized, here's what I want you to know. God will never waste your pain. He will never waste your hurt. He will never waste your suffering. And he will never waste a miracle. There's always a purpose. And then, regardless of how long you've been waiting for a miracle, Jesus hasn't forgotten you. There are no promises in God's word that says that God is going to heal every person that is suffering or paralyzed or in pain while they're, st- while they're st- still here on this earth. I want you to think about what happened in the story. Jesus walks into an incri- entire crowd of people with diseases and illnesses at a pool called Bethesda, and he only healed one person. He left that pool area with tons of unhealed people behind him. And you know, when you read that, it's a, it's a, it really is a tough pill to swallow, especially if you're dealing, you're here today and maybe you're dealing with a chronic illness or you're dealing, you know someone or you're dealing with some kind of mental illness or, or you have some type of physical ailment. And you ask yourself the question, I mean, could Jesus have healed all these people? Absolutely. Could he heal, could he heal every ill person in the world right now if he wanted to? Absolutely. But for some reason, God chooses not to. 
And even though Romans chapter 8, verse 23 says, as Christians, we groan to be released from pain and for suffering in this lifetime, it won't be until we get to heaven that we will be ultimately healed and given brand new bodies. And listen, that is a tough reality to accept about God's sovereignty. It's, it's especially tough when you have a child or you have someone who is near and dear to you, someone that you love that is suffering right now. However, even though I don't understand and we don't understand why God may choose to do a miracle here and why he may not choose to do it over here, here's what I do know. He's compassionate and he's loving. And I know that he's not forgotten you. Not even for a moment, you're still on his mind. You say, how do you know? How do, how do you know that that's true? Listen, when I walk into our breakaway ministry here at Westridge Church, which is our ministry to kids and young adults with special needs, I see overwhelming joy and love pouring out of their lives. I always usually leave whatever event it is inspired and in tears. And you can just sense the presence of Jesus when you walk in there around all those kids. When I go to Burkina Faso, Africa, I'm around people who who deal with unbelievable life and death situations all the time because of things like AIDS or waterborne illnesses or mosquito-related deaths or things like that. When you know that when you're standing in an environment where three out of five children in this country will die before the age of 10, you would think that people would be walking around feeling forgotten and hopeless and helpless and yet... When I'm around these believers there, they are some of the most fulfilled, joyful people I have ever experienced. When you are around them, you realize, you you sense that you are in the presence of Jesus. When I go to Guatemala, I see families who can barely feed their children. People are starving. They're eating food out of trash dumps. And yet there's a contentment that can't be explained outside of one thing. God's not forgotten them, and they know it. God is with them, and they know it. Even in the midst of their hardship and their suffering and their pain and even death, they have found joy and contentment and peace and life in their relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And they know that he has not forgotten them. He's not forgotten them in this life, and their hope is found in that he has given them tremendous, tremendous hope for the next life. Listen, some of you are waiting for a miracle You're waiting on God for a miracle. You've been praying and praying and praying. Listen, Jesus has not forgotten you. God may not be praying your, answering your prayers exactly the way that you've been praying them, but I want you to know this. He's with you and you are on his mind. You say, how do you know that, Brian? Listen, I've seen it. I've experienced it. And I've read about it. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, I love these words. One of my favorite places in the Bible, Isaiah just simply asks a question. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak and he never grows weary. Even though we may, he never grows weak, he never grows weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run. They will not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Those who have learned to take their bucket and sink it deep into God's never endless supply of grace. They'll run and they won't grow weary. They will walk but they won't faint 
So regardless of what you're going through, I want you to know this. Jesus has not forgotten you. And for those of you that are still wondering, Jesus is still the God of wonders. My question is, do you need a miracle today? Do you need a miracle in your life? Do you need a miracle? You're going through something right now. Here's what I want to tell you. God has asked you. He's given you permission to come boldly into the presence, into the throne of his grace. But don't come seeking emotion. Don't come seeking sensation. Don't come looking for an emotional, spiritual buzz. Come seeking Jesus. Come seeking Jesus. And if you feel forgotten, I want you to know Jesus has not forgotten you. Not even for a moment, you're on his mind. And sometimes in order to see the miraculous, you have to be willing to be obedient. You have to be willing to get up. You have to be willing to just take that step that you know that God is calling you to take. I want to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. Some of you in this place right now, you feel forgotten, you feel marginalized, you feel like you're a lost cause, you're going through something right now that literally is sucking the life out of you. Maybe you came in here today looking for some kind of emotional experience. I I hope more than anything what you've discovered is that you're in the presence of Jesus. And if, if he's done something beyond that for you, if he's ministered to you in a powerful way, just take a moment and thank, thank him right now. Thank him for ministering to you through his word or a song or something that has been set up here through, or just through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life right now. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in the one who gave his life for you, who paid for your sins, Jesus Christ, I want to give you that opportunity right now. If you've never done that, I want you to pray with me. Say, Lord, at this very moment, I put every bit of my faith, every bit of my trust in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, I need forgiveness of my sins. Lord, there's nothing that I could ever do to earn that forgiveness, to pay the price for my sins and what it has created, which is a a complete disconnect between me and you. But Jesus came and and he put his life down, died on a cross for my sins. And so today, with my lips, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I put all of my faith and trust in what he has done on the cross for me. And I receive him into my life at this very moment to be my personal Lord and Savior. Lord, forgive me. And thank you for your grace. And by faith, I come to you right now. With heads still bowed, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want you to take your Get Connected card out, fill it out, let us know you prayed that prayer that you just received Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Take it to the, get, uh, to the help center on the atrium so that we can help you to take your next step with the Lord. Father, for the rest of us, we thank you. Lord, that when we come to you with our buckets and we dip them deep down into the well of your grace, what we come out with is the strength and the power and the resources that we need to make it through, whatever it is that you're walking us through. I thank you, Lord, that the word says that your grace is sufficient for everything that we go through. Lord, even if you choose not to answer a prayer the way we're praying it, not to heal us the way that we're asking, not, Lord, not, not, not to, to touch us, Lord, the way emotionally that we're looking to be touched, but Lord, because you know what's best, you promise the grace, you promise the strength, promise the power. You promise the mercy. 
to get us through whatever it is that you're leading us through. And Lord, that tells us that we're not forgotten. There's no lost causes in this room. Nobody's been forgotten. We're on your mind and you love us. And for that, we say thank you. And we say, oh, we love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.